Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Churches are barred from endorsing candidates and being directly involved in political campaigns, or they risk their tax-exempt status. But they've been doing it anyway, say experts. If the nation is to be saved, it's going to take some leaders who stand for values that are critical to the future of this nation. Dan Patrick's one of those. I'm naming it and claiming it. The next governor of Texas, Beto O'Rourke. A new ProPublica investigation of churches in Texas, California, and other states looks at how widespread and brazen endorsing from the pulpit has become. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Nina Kim. For the last two years, my guests, ProPublica reporters Jeremy Schwartz and Jessica Priest, have been looking into churches that have been directly and indirectly endorsing political candidates in violation of federal rules that prohibit religious organizations with tax-exempt status from engaging in political campaigns. Here's Pastor Brandon Burden of the Kingdom Life Church outside of Dallas. But you know what I got jurisdiction over this morning? is an election coming up on Saturday. I got a candidate that God wants to win. I got a mayor that God wants to unseat. God wants to undo. God wants to shift the balance of power in our city, and I have jurisdiction over that this morning. This hour, we'll look at the impact of endorsing from the pulpit and learn what places of worship can and cannot do. We'll also look at why the IRS has been slow to enforce the rules. Jeremy Schwartz is a reporter, and Jessica Priest is an engagement reporter with ProPublica Texas Tribune Investigative Initiative. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for having us. I'm glad to have you, and welcome, Jessica. Thank you. So, Jeremy, I want to start with you. Uh, That cut we just heard, that was from a sermon delivered in May of last year from Pastor Brandon Burden. And I'm wondering um, why this pastor, who was the first we meet in your investigation, became a focus of your investigation and, and what he was referring to there with jurisdiction over an election and shifting the balance of power by unseating a mayor. Yeah, Brandon Burden is a, a really interesting figure um, and, and really kind of representative of probably the extreme edge of pastors getting involved in politics. 
He, he belongs to a church uh, that is part of a, a movement called the New Apostolic Reformation, which is uh, probably one of the most aggressive evangelical movements seeking to um, to really to, to take uh, power and to take over positions within uh, civilian governments. And it's a, a common theme of his sermons is that their church um, has been designated by God um, to, to have the, the authority. Uh, he calls it a, a governmental church, a ruling church, but basically has the authority to decide who should win elections um, and has not been shy about uh, using uh, that authority uh, in, in saying what he hopes happens uh, from the pulpit, which, uh, you know, in the strictest sense is a violation of, of the Johnson Amendment, as you had mentioned. And how many people attend Kingdom Life Church? Kingdom Life is not uh, one of the the larger mega churches uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth area, um, but it is connected to, as I was saying, to to this new Apostolic Reformation yeah. movement, which uh, you know by various estimates, uh, in, you know, is in the millions across the country and uh, one of the faster growing uh, parts of the evangelical movement, um, and, and is also uh, some of the ideas that it espouses and that it sort of made famous, you could say, uh, have been bleeding into other denominations and other congregations that, that you know, maybe more mainstream, but some of these ideas uh, of, of sort of conquering the the dominion in the realms of of non-church areas such as the government um have been becoming more common in in non uh non churches as as they are sometimes called yeah you note that uh, burden after january 6th urged followers to stock up in food and keep their guns loaded ahead of President Biden's inauguration saying that prophetic voices had told him that Trump would have eight consecutive years in office. So he's done this a few times with regard to really using the pulpit to endorse candidates. Were there any consequences for Burden doing this? Uh no, not that 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 we found and certainly not on the uh, IRS end of things, which is the agency that is tasked with uh, enforcing the Johnson Amendment. Um, you know, his his words did lead to some um, lead to some discussion uh, within the community of Frisco, certainly um, as to sort of, you know, what should be the pastor's place in, in the political realm. But when it comes to the IRS, who is the agency charged with with enforcing the Johnson Amendment, um, as far as we've been able to see, the agency has basically been quiet for the last uh, 11, 12, even 13 years. Hmm. So tell us what the Johnson Amendment is, what it says. 
Yeah. So the the Johnson Amendment, um, and, and I hadn't really known much about the Johnson Amendment before we started reporting on this. Um, but is it is an amendment that was passed in 1954 by LBJ, then a senator, and it basically says that nonprofits cannot intervene in a political campaign on behalf of a candidate. Uh, churches, uh, you know, are nonprofits basically by de default. So this uh, prohibition applies to churches. Um, and it has over the years uh, sort of acquired, you know, some interpretations of the rules that the IRS has put out um, because it's obviously quite a complicated thing um, to, to sort of, you know, define what does political intervention intervention in a political campaign mean. And there are some things that are, are quite clear. You can't endorse from the pulpit. You can't endorse a candidate from the pulpit. Uh, you can't give church money to a candidate. Um, but then there are other things that are, are much more nuanced and much more in a, in a gray area. Um, and, and sort of dis despite what, what you know some folks say, the Johnson Amendment does allow uh, pastors to discuss politics and they can discuss uh, issues, uh, you know, as, as much as they want, even, you know, the most controversial issues uh, that they choose. Um, they can hold candidate forums at their churches. They can host candidates. Uh, they can do uh, produce voter guides, but they must be done in a way that does not uh, that is not endorsing, that is not supporting a specific candidate. And Jessica, when you put, while there is this gray area, for example, Burden's words to experts, uh, did they tell you that Burden, what he did, what the example is that we heard, would violate the Johnson Amendment? Yes, they did. Um, he was speaking in the clip um, a little bit about the mayor of Frisco, who was not on the ballot at the time. The mayor was seen um, in some some people's eyes as, as being on the ballot, but he wasn't technically. Um, the mayor and I guess Pastor Burden had feuded in the past and um, the mayor kind of represented to him what was going wrong in the city. And so I think Pastor Burden saw, you know, this candidate that he supported as like a counter to the mayor. Mm. But our experts said that, you know, pastors are free to criticize, um, you know, sitting office holders if they're not on the ballot. Um, so there was some nuance with that example. Um, but he made clear early in his sermon who he was supporting, um, which was Jennifer White, a veterinarian who, um, but what's super interesting about this example and the others that we found is that, you know, this is technically a nonpartisan race, like for city council in Texas, you don't declare whether you're a Democrat or Republican or a liberal or whatever party, you just run on the issues. But we, what we saw in this race was one candidate very clearly campaigning as being a conservative. And so um, sometimes what we're seeing is pastors getting involved in these nonpartisan races and sometimes making it a partisan race.
And the IRS, not to your knowledge, ever contacting Burden or Kingdom Life Church about its previous violations or coming close to the line. Is that unique or is that pretty much how the IRS has handled things like this? Jessica. Um, We wouldn't know if they contacted the church. Um, We'd only really know that if the church made that public um, because of, I guess, tax and privacy laws. And the only instance that we know of that um, where the IRS has revoked someone's tax, a church's tax exempt status happened in the 90s. And um, that was because the church uh, branch ministries uh, fought it. They like sued the IRS for um, violating their religious freedom. And the um, court decided that they're taking away the tax exempt status hadn't violated their religious freedom. Um, So that's really the only example that we know of where the IRS has taken action. Um, Other, I guess, other action uh, that they've taken that you could count is um, the IRS has acknowledged sending letters to churches, kind of like warning letters over the years. And Jeremy can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, we're coming up on a break, Jeremy. But if you had to say or characterize quickly how the IRS handles questions of basically endorsing from the pulpit and so on, how would you describe it? How would you characterize it? I mean, especially recently in the last last decade, um, it's sort of a a see no evil, hear no evil (laughs) sort of philosophy. Uh, We know that there are complaints made to the IRS uh, about this behavior. Um, But as I say, there's very little evidence of uh, enforcement activity um there there was and we, we can talk about this later but they there was a moment of sort of a four-year span where the irs did get more aggressive on this yeah let's we, talk about what the consequences were of that after the break we're talking with jeremy schwartz and jessica priest of pope publica about churches regularly sidestepping or ignoring rules that bar them from endorsing candidates or directly involving themselves in political campaigns we'll have more after the break stay with us I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow. NASA's nine-month study of unidentified aerial phenomena, popularly called UFOs, is underway. So before we get caught up in post-election analysis, we thought we'd take a moment to fly out of this world and get the latest on the scientific search for life beyond our planet. Today, we're talking with Jeremy Schwartz, a reporter for ProPublica, Texas Tribune Investigative Initiative, and Jessica Priest, engagement reporter for ProPublica, Texas Tribune Investigative Initiative. They're co-authors of a new report from ProPublica and the Texas Tribune on churches that are electioneering in, vo- in violation of federal tax law. And... Listeners, we'd like to invite you to join the conversation. What are your questions for our guests? Also curious how your place of worship handles political matters and if you've ever felt like they crossed the line. You can email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can give us a call at 866-733-6786, So Jeremy, just before the break, you were talking about a period of time when the IRS was trying, in fact, to enforce uh, rules around whether or not churches or other religious organizations, for purposes of your investigation, you focused on churches, um, uh, whether or not they were, in fact, violating their rules and putting at risk their tax-exempt status uh, by endorsing candidates or getting directly involved in political campaigns, fundraising for them, and so on. Can you just talk briefly about what happened? Yeah. So this... uh really began in, in 2004 before the 2004 presidential uh, election. And the IRS said they had been receiving, uh, you know, a large number of complaints about church politicking. And so they actually uh, put together a a committee, an internal committee that would handle these uh, allegations and, and complaints and fast track them. Uh, and the goal I think was twofold. One, to send a message to churches uh, initially that this behavior is not allowed. Um, and two, to 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 not let um, the situation get so far out of hand that um, that the IRS would not be able to to control it uh, at a later point. Um, And so what followed was about four years from the 2004, 2006, 2008 election cycles uh, where uh, the IRS, you know, investigated uh, scores of churches. It's hard to say the exact number of churches, um, but over a hundred churches, as Jessica mentioned, for for most of those sent out warning letters um, where the churches agreed not to continue with their uh, political activity um, in in exchange for for not having an audit opened against them. Uh, But that effort ended abruptly in 2009 uh, with a court case involving uh, a church in Minnesota that had been supporting uh, Michelle Bachman, some of your your listeners may remember her, um, but as part of that legal case, uh, a judge determined that the IRS had not had, had sort of been violating its own rules for quite some time and did not have a, a person of high enough rank within the agency to initiate an investigation of a church. Uh, churches do enjoy special rules within the uh, within the enforcement arm of the IRS. To initiate an investigation of a church uh, is different than than initiating an investigation of a of a regular nonprofit. 
you have to have a higher higher bar that you have to hit. Um, and the court found that that the agency did not have this high ranking official uh, signing off on these investigations. Um, and so that really helped uh, sort of hobble the 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 agency's investigations um, you know throughout the next the next decade. So if this made them reluctant to potentially go after folks, what do you see as the harm of this going unchecked by the IRS, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a it's a good question, um, you know, and uh, it, it depends a lot who who you talk to. Um, there is, uh, among some some experts, a a, a real concern that. Um, you know, without the Johnson Amendment, without any breaks on churches supporting candidates, that churches could themselves become a vehicle for donors who don't want to be identified publicly, so-called dark money, uh, could flow into churches and then be used to support specific candidates uh, in a way that would escape public notice. Um so, so that's that's one of the the concerns. Uh, another is is sort of a broader concern uh, that that in a way has to do with our democracy itself. Um, that if we if we remove the Johnson Amendment and had churches uh, endorsing candidates all over the place, that it would it would only increase this polarization that we have in this country. Hmm. Um, and, you know, not all churches, but some churches do still play this role where, um, you know, the pews are 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 filled with folks of, uh, across the political spectrum. Hmm. Um, and so there are a number of pastors themselves and church leaders who have uh, lobbied against attempts to overturn the Johnson Amendment because they do not want to be put in a situation where they are pressured to endorse a particular candidate and potentially alienate, you know, half of their half of their congregation. Well, let me go to some calls coming in. And again, that number 866-733-6786. Charles in Pleasant Hill, join us. Hi, Charles. You're on. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm just I'm just really concerned that the law is not being enforced. There's there's a clear uh, message in our constitution of the separation of church and state. And I just believe that this separation is being violated in every single day. And what really incenses me is that these preachers who fly around in jets, private jets, uh, Joel Osteen, uh, a lot of these, um, Creflo Dollar has private helicopters. They get all this tax-free money, and they're clearly just sh- are charlatans. And it's and and they're and they're clearly telling their their parishioners to support Republican candidates. Republicans are are more at fault on this, but so are the Democrats. Well, and Charles, I thanks. Like yeah, to be enforced. Yeah. Well, thanks for making your your point. And yes, it's done by Republican 
leaning churches, I guess, or Democrat leading churches, and also very much here in California. Right, Jessica, your investigation spanned beyond Texas. You focused on one California church, for example, called Destiny Christian Church in Rockland County, about 20 miles northeast of San Sacramento, I believe. And the pastor there is someone named Greg Farrington. Um, could you tell us a little bit about Greg Farrington and what you identified in your investigation? Yeah, um, we looked across the country um, for examples um, just to to see if it was happening in places besides Texas. And of course it is. Um, I found, I stumbled upon um, Pastor Farrington and Destiny Church um, because we had published a story back in July about Family Research Council, which is a nonprofit, um, conservative nonprofit, um, applying with the IRS to become a church. Um, and people wrote into us about churches in California, not specifically about um, destiny. But I think what happened was I was watching sermons on YouTube and his sermon got recommended to me just from my my watch history. Um, so what was interesting about his um, about his sermon is it happened back in May. And um, it was kind of like a cute, like he had a Q&A set up kind of before he got into his sermon or his message for that Sunday. And it was like a Q&A with only one candidate. And as Jeremy um, said, um, candidate visits aren't necessarily prohibited, but churches have to give, um, extend an invitation to both candidates or to all the candidates and give them an equal opportunity and speak in a nonpartisan way about them um, or ask, you know, nonpartisan questions. And that just doesn't appear to have taken place. He had um, Anthony Tremino on, um, who at the time was running for governor, and he explained that he had met Anthony Tremino um, while interviewing potential candidates um, when there was an effort to recall Governor Gavin Newsom. Um, and yeah. he acknowledged that he couldn't, um, that he couldn't, he, what we see in some of these examples is like the pastors acknowledging that they're not allowed to do this, that uh, like saying, oh, I can't endorse. But so he kind of did something like that, where he said, I'm not saying that you're going to be the next governor of Texas, or I'm sorry, the governor. California. Of yeah. <laughs> but, but when you are, this is your church family. And, and so that was super interesting. Yeah, well, let's hear a little bit from that sermon he delivered. June 7th is critically important. Only two candidates advance. And if you'll allow me to advance into the general, I will take a fight to Newsom the likes of which he has never seen. So if you're watching online, I know a lot of people are watching online. Share, 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 share. I, my sermon is important, but not nearly important. People get, get to know who Anthony is. And all of you, all of you here, Go to our social media pages. Share this information with all the people that you are connected with. They need to know this man's vision. I'm going to pray with Anthony right now. Church, I want you to stand up, and we're going to pray. We believe in the... And that is the sound of Greg Farrington. He is the uh, <laughs> the 
the pastor at Destiny Christian Church in Rockland County. And listeners, we are talking about how federal law bars churches and other religious nonprofits from endorsing candidates or being directly involved in political campaigns uh, with Jeremy Schwartz, a reporter for ProPublica Texas Tribune Investigative Initiative, and Jessica Breest, engagement reporter for ProPublica Texas Tribune. And so, Jeremy, I want to ask you a little bit about the enforcement piece of this that Jessica is talking about, I mean, I imagine it would be very difficult for the IRS to be making sure, given its resources and so on, that they're giving equal time to other or opposing candidates to Anthony Tremino, for example. Yes. And in this um, uh, sort of tradition of candidates visiting churches, especially before the midterms, um, you know, which we are seeing all over the place in Texas. I'm sure you're seeing it in California. Um, it just happens before every election. Um, and we, we've had experts tell us that it, it really, you know, given the resources that the IRS has, it's, it's not really feasible um, to sort of police every, every candidate visit and make sure that you know, churches are acting in a nonpartisan way or opening up their um, congregations to to all candidates. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there are ways that the that the agency, um, you know, uh, can sort of laser in more on, on some of the more egregious and more obvious um violations um but but i think one of the things that has also held them back is is this fear that they would be accused of of impartial of of bias um and so figuring out a way to you know to to undertake these investigations um that doesn't make it seem as though they are targeting one side or the other and i don't think that's something they have ever really figured out even in the 2000s um, you you actually had both sides of the aisle complaining that they were being unfairly targeted. Um, so it, it, that I think is one of the big pieces of the puzzle they need to figure out. Uh, well, let me go to caller Tim in San Francisco next. Hi, Tim. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm well. What's on your mind? Well, um, so these conversations uh, usually take place from the side of um, and, and sorry, I'll just start again. One side that is always left out of these conversations is that of atheists. And I am an atheist, and I don't believe in any of the religions or any of the religious practices. So to kind of use uh, an idea, if I go to a movie theater and I want to see Avatar, for instance, I pay my $8 or $20 or whatever it is now. And the movie theater chain or the movie theater has to pay taxes on the money that they received. Well, to me, Avatar is as much of a fantasy as any religious doctrine um, of whether it's Christian, Muslim, uh, Jew. It doesn't matter. It's all the same to me. It's a smoke and mirror show. So I think it's time. This is 2022 that we remove the tax exempt status. Hmm. Um, These institutions, as you like to call them, uh, or as they're called, I'm not saying you like to call them, but as they're called, are nothing more than making profit off of a book that was, you know, instituted 2000 years ago, and it's been generating profits. And you can tell just by the buildings that these 
institutions reside in. So if you're not, if they, if you don't think they're making profits, it's a, you're really not seeing it. And they're making more money over the centuries than any business ever has. And I think it's time because I'm not alone in this. I think the majority of, um, I, I would even say the majority of Americans, um, who aren't represented by these institutions are always ignored because their voices become the loudest. Well, so Tim, as an yeah. atheist, I think we need to get rid of the tax-exempt status for any religious institution, not just Christians, all of them, across the board. So, Tim, thanks for letting us hear your voice. I'm curious, there has been polling on the Johnson Amendment, on tax-exempt status for religious organizations, so I'm curious, Jessica, how people feel about tax exemptions for religious organizations. If you were able to get a sense of of where of where we are on this as part of your reporting. Yeah, I think back in um, 2017, there was a poll done that showed um, most Americans don't or they support the Johnson Amendment. They don't want their pastor to endorse candidates. This topic came up because um, Republicans have repeatedly, I guess, filed in, in Congress um, the this amendment to um, get rid of, of the Johnson Amendment. Um, I know there was some confusion back in 2017 when former President Trump um, issued an executive order that he said did away with the Johnson Amendment. Um, there's actually, a, I think the Johnson or the Justice Department actually came out and clarified that the only thing that can get rid of the Johnson Amendment is, um, is congressional action. Huh. Um, tax exempt status, I haven't heard that. Um, I haven't heard much discussion about doing away with uh, tax-exempt status for churches. But basically, Jeremy, what Jessica is saying is that when the Trump administration wanted to do away with the Johnson Amendment, they weren't saying that they want to do away with their tax-exempt status. They were saying that they wanted to loosen the rules on what kind of politicking they could do from the pulpit, right? That they wanted actually there to be more of it in churches. Yes, yes. Uh, Trump wanted... Uh, pastors to face no and churches to face no repercussions if they endorsed from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of his early, uh, you know, on the campaign trail in 2016, one of his early uh, appeals to evangelical leaders and voters, um, you know, he, he, he campaigned on a, a pledge to get rid of the Johnson Amendment. Interesting. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us, listeners. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Since Herschel Walker was 16 years old, white men been telling him what to do. Telling him what school to go to, where to live, where to eat, where to buy a house, where to run, where to sit down, where to sleep, where to pay for abortions, where to buy a gun. And they, you think they not going to tell him how to vote? In 2022, we don't need a walker. We need a runner. We need somebody who going to run and tell the truth about January 6th. That's Pastor Jamal Bryant of the New Birth Missionary Baptist Church in Stonecrest, Georgia, just outside Atlanta, speaking to his congregation on Sunday, October 30th. And earlier in the program, Jessica, we were talking about how you know, this is politicking from the pulpit has been done, endorsing from the pulpit has been done by both churches that lean conservative and churches that lean liberal, and then the extremes also, as we've heard as well. But uh, my understanding is that conservative groups also have argued that black churches are more politically active than their white evangelical counterparts, but are not as heavily scrutinized. What did you find out about this? Yeah, we found out that um, we talked with historians and and lawyers and former IRS employees who told us that Black churches have like a long history of uh, mobilizing in the church. So they do things like souls to the polls, voter registration, um, and they were, you know, heavily involved in the Voting Rights Act. Uh, The faith community was in Black churches. Um, and it seems like it appears that the the white evangelical church kind of got involved in maybe the eighties around the eighties or nineties. And so their involvement is a little different. And like Jeremy said, the Johnson amendment is nuanced, but there are violations happening in both black churches and white evangelical churches, um, which we pointed out in a recent story that ran on Sunday, um, you know, two of the top um, most high profile politicians in Texas right now, uh, gubernatorial candidate Beto O'Rourke visited many uh, black churches um, in the past few weeks um, to get out the vote. And um, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who's a Republican running for reelection also visited um, several churches. And um, both had examples where they did um, cross the line, the churches did. And then um, there were both had examples where they didn't. And um, they both kind of gave stump speeches, if you will, at these churches. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not apples to apples, but um, they, they both do it. Why isn't it apples to apples? What did you hear from Black church leaders, Jeremy, when you reached out to them? Yeah, uh, I think there was a, a real sort of difference in philosophy, sort of o- o- over over all philosophy. Um, when we talked to to white evangelical pastors, 
there was a really strong feeling that the Johnson Amendment needs to be overturned and, and done away with, and that it represents this, uh, you know, un, unconstitutional um, infringement on, on church's right to free expression and, and free speech. Um, we did not get that um, same sense from pastors at Black churches, um, many of whom say they they do try to stay within the in the the bounds of the Johnson Amendment, uh, that they do believe uh, in the separation of church and state, and think that the Johnson Amendment plays a, a, a role. So I think that sort of uh, philosophy is an important distinction. Um, but what we're also seeing in some of the 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 white evangelical churches, such as the one that we we began the program with, uh, is a sense of looking to take over local governments um, and install devout Christians uh, in a way that you do not see this this same rhetoric. Um, in, in black churches. There's sort of a, a difference in tone, uh, in, in, in brazenness, and, uh, and definitely in sort of the, the ultimate uh, goal of, of mm. this political activity. And before the break, you were talking about Trump's opposition to the Johnson Amendment banning political activity by churches and other religious organizations. So are you saying that that says to you that conservative white Christian churches see a greater benefit to them of doing away with the Johnson Amendment than, say, Democratic churches or black churches that tend to be Democratic? I think that there's definitely more of a desire among the, the, the white evangelical churches to get rid of the Johnson Amendment. A lot of the push to congressionally um you know the, the the folks that that trump was reaching out to on this issue um were uh white evangelical church leaders uh it, it, it's interesting that the poll that jessica was talking about earlier from 2017 found uh all all populations that it looked at were uh wanted to keep the Johnson Amendment. The only uh, exception to that was among white evangelicals where 52% wanted to to get rid of it. Um, mm. And there's definitely a, a, uh, a network of, of churches that would very much welcome um, the ability to, to become even more politically engaged. Well, let me go to caller Natalie. Hi, Natalie, you're on. Hey, thanks so much for taking my call. Um, can I start by saying thanks to Tim for representing? I really uh, want to give you an ironic amen. <laughs> um, I'm a queer w- woman living in San Francisco. I was raised Mormon, so I know firsthand how information gets been gets spun from the pulpit, and how people, you know, rich in their feelings. Um, with the power dynamic in church and such can be vulnerable to misinformation away from facts, then they're persuaded toward platforms that are harmful. I love that you asked the question, Mina, like, what's the harm? And I wanted to call in and, and represent, like, it is harmful to queer people for anyone who's demonized or marginalized by these religions. And we should be on the watch for this kind of conspiratorial thinking that then plays out in our politics. Hmm. Well, Natalie, thanks. Thanks for calling in and, and sharing that. And I can tell you feel it. Uh, 
Another listener, Ali, tweets, the problem with politicized churches is they have immense moral sway over their members who are more open and less critically thinking than perhaps usual when they're in attendance and receiving messages from their religious organizations. So what kind of impact are you hoping your reporting will have? And I know it's in progress, right, Jeremy? So so what are you hoping as you also continue to gather and ask people to share more examples of what they see um, in their places of worship? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the basic goal here is to at least open up this question, this discussion, conversation about about the Johnson Amendment, about church political activity, because it, it does feel that in some ways we're at, we're close to a tipping point um, with with so many churches uh, becoming involved. You know, or, or do we get to a point of of no return here, or do we, as a country, demand that the IRS at, at least um, do do something? You know. That that they are charged to do under the under the law, um, but I, I think also and Jessica can speak to this. You know, we really want to try to get a better handle on what is happening across the country at churches across the country. Um, how how common is this? How does this play out? You know, in local communities. Um, uh, you know, the role that, as, as your uh, caller said, you know, the role that churches play in influencing um, voters is, is, is a big one. Um, and so we're, we're uh, hoping to, to learn a lot more. And Jessica can, can, can definitely speak more to that. Yeah, Jessica, if listeners want to contribute to the project, how can they in terms of reporting about political activity in places of worship? Yeah, we have a questionnaire on our website on ProPublica.org that they can fill out and just tell us what you're seeing. Um, we're asking for uh, links to to videos. I mean, the past year I've just been watching sermons on YouTube. It seems like a lot of um, churches um, amid lockdown for the COVID-19 pandemic really got more sophisticated with their <laughs> streaming their services. So any anything you see um, that you have questions about, um, we'd love to to hear about it um, and just um, invent, talk with experts about whether it complies or conflicts with the the law and how it's affecting you. I mean, we've heard from candidates um, who say that they've been you know, defeated by a slate of um, candidates that were supported by uh, a church in their community, and they feel like their school board has gone in the wrong direction. Um, people have questions for us um, in California, especially right now, about um, whether churches can uh, weigh in on like ballot measures. Yeah. Um, you know, y'all have a big ballot measure going on right now as it relates to abortion. So we're just interested in all of it. <laughs> Along those lines, can I play another clip from Pastor Greg Farrington at Just Destiny Church in Rockland? This was something that uh, the pastor said from the pulpit just yesterday. We have uh, this thing called midterm elections uh, Tuesday, all right? And this is like preaching to the choir. You know it, what your responsibilities are. And as Christians, we've been steward with this nation. 
One nation under God, all right? That's right. We need to That's right. do our job, go out and vote, especially defeat Proposition 1 here in the state of California. Send a message to Gavin Newsom. This is not a sanctuary state for abortion, all right? Amen, amen. You know, I always tell you. And oh. again, that was the Rockland preacher and so I guess the question that I have is if they are listening to this, is this something that would violate? Can churches not, again, um, endorse propositions, Jeremy? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and it actually does come under a, a separate part of the law. The, the Johnson Amendment is uh, focused on uh, elections, uh, intervening for elections involving candidates. So you, you can't endorse or oppose a candidate, and that is a, a strict prohibition. When it comes to ballot measures and referendums and, and, and things of that nature, uh, those rules are, are different. And those are actually the lobbying rules of the IRS. Uh, and those are much murkier. Um, and first off, uh, you, you know, such uh, activity is allowed under under the rules uh, as long as the church's uh, political activity doesn't represent a substantial, and that's the that's the word that they use, substantial amount of their overall uh, work and effort. And the the code does not define substantial. It it can be a pretty uh, subjective uh, thing, um, and. But but churches, it, it, California is not the only state struggling with this. Uh, and Michigan has a similar uh, ballot measure going that the Catholic Church has um, come out in a very, very organized way uh, opposing that with sermons, with campaign letters, uh, and lots and lots of residents up in arms because they believe that the church is violating um, the Johnson Amendment, um, and it is not exactly so um mm. it would and it would take some some unraveling and some investigation to determine you know if their if their efforts were quote unquote substantial ah, uh, but they but they they have a lot more leeway mm -hmm. so there is some gray area and of course endorse or tell people to vote against or just tell people how to vote on a proposition or a ballot measure we're talking with reporter for ProPublica Jeremy Schwartz engagement reporter for ProPublica Jessica Priest about their investigation into religious organizations endorsing candidates or directly involving themselves in political campaigns um, and putting at risk their tax exempt status yet the IRS has or appears to be looking the other way for now. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Well, this listener writes, thank you for the program. Exemption should be disallowed for these religio-political organizations, which are massive and long organized around political positions. Your guest said privacy rules keep them from knowing if the IRS has warned the church under discussion. How can that be? Trump's tax problems are pretty well publicized. Please explain, Jeremy or Jessica. How is it that the privacy rules kept you from knowing if the IRS has warned the church? Well, the, the IRS does have have quite strict uh, rules on privacy in terms of, of tax returns um, and uh, tax payer information that they will release. Um, and w one of those rules uh, involves investigations of churches. Uh, and it's a longstanding standing 
rule that they will not um, uh, verify or confirm that an investigation has has been opened or 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 uh, the other way around. Really, one of the only ways you can find out if it has happened is, as Jessica said, if the church itself complains publicly and, and lets people know, or uh, it, it ends up in court with uh, a, a determination by the IRS that is then challenged by the church. Um, but yes, believe me, as a, as a reporter, it is quite frustrating as well, um, sort of the lack of uh, information. We, we've asked the IRS for just aggregate information uh, about church investigations um, and have received some, some FOIA documents, but uh, incredibly redacted, almost comically redacted. Um, so it, it, you know, it leaves the rest of us wondering just, just what, what is happening. Let me go to Steve in Oakland. Hi, Steve, you're on. Yeah, I'd like to know what can we do to get the IRS to do its job? Hmm. I, my understanding of um, American history, I, I think it was James Madison in the Federalist Papers, they, he was responding to people who were concerned that some one group was going to take over the country. And he said that, you know, the large size of the, the country would, um, you know, uh, prevent that because people would be aligned in all different ways. We have a, um, a check and balances here, the IRS, but they're not doing their job. Any thoughts for Steve, Jessica? Yeah, um, you can tell us about um, what you're seeing and we can look into it. There's also buried on the IRS's website a, a, a form you can fill out. It's called the Form 13909. That lets them know um, about a complaint that they can look into. But I I think one of the most effective ways is probably talking to your Congress, your Congress member, your, your uh, representative, um, and just telling them that this is something that's Im important to you. Um, unless, do you have anything different um, that you would add, Jeremy? Uh, no, I, I, I mean, it's a, it's a, the IRS does definitely respond to congressional pressure. Um, but it, one just sort of interesting. And we just have 20 seconds, Jeremy. Is, uh, just in March, they, they put in new rules to initiate these church investigations. So it is possible that they, that the agency could, uh, embark on these with more vigor coming up. Well, it sounds like this is certainly ongoing for both of you. Jeremy Schwartz, a reporter for ProPublica, Jessica Priest as well, engagement reporter for ProPublica, part of the ProPublica Texas Tribune Investigative Initiative. Susie Britton produced today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. Thank you, guests. Thank you, listeners, for listening to Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.